Welcome to Angels and Seer Stones. I'm Chris. And I'm Christine. Today's episode is about guardian angels and Latter-day Saint belief and story. We'll look at how the church has discussed the topic of guardian angels from the 19th century to the present day. And of course, this is Angels and Seer Stones. We're going to look at the folk dimensions of that conversation. Plus, we'll talk about how the idea of guardian angels relates to our departed family members. Latter-day Saints are a people of radical faith. We are a unique body of Bible-believing Christians. For us, the scriptural canon has been opened. The traditional sacraments have expanded. Our beliefs and practices are steeped in universalism, esotericism, and apocalypticism. The Latter-day Saint tradition is a religion in which angels visit everyday people, and sometimes men and women see the divine in stones. In this podcast, we examine lived religion of Latter-day Saints, the stories we tell, and the beliefs we debate. We take seriously the whole gambit of Latter-day Saint experience. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Angels and Seer Stones. The guardian angel is ancient in origin. It appears in Judaism, Islam, and of course in early Christianity. And we see this belief circulating still today. Often guardian angels are linked to children, such as the image of a guardian angel watching over a sleeping baby. The idea likely comes at least in part from Matthew 18.10, which many Christians have leaned on to validate their belief in the existence of guardian angels. In this chapter, Jesus brings a child to the front of the congregation and says, Take heed that you despise not one of these little ones, for I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. What does it mean that their angels are always in the presence of God? One of the most popular commentaries on the Bible in the 19th century was written by Adam Clark, and he explains that Jesus is teaching that all people have guardian angels, and that these angels, in his words, quote, always have access to God to receive orders relative to the management of their charge. As we'll see, some modern-day saints accepted this idea about guardian angels, the idea that one guardian angel was appointed to every person. That's true, but not all Latter-day Saints have accepted this belief, and it's been widely debated since the mid-20th century. That's absolutely true. In fact, after my conversion to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, I was pretty shocked to discover that many Latter-day Saints didn't believe in guardian angels at all. And I got this idea from Bruce R. McConkie's Mormon Doctrine. In 1995, I had only been a member of the church for several weeks when my friend's brother came home from BYU for the summer and introduced me to the book, including all of its interesting passages. Yeah, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners have heard of Elder McConkie's Mormon doctrine, but in case there are some unfamiliar, here's a quick introduction. So Bruce R. McConkie served as an apostle from 1972 to 1985, and he was known as an expert on, you guessed it, Mormon doctrine. The book Mormon Doctrine uh, was unquestionably the most influential work. It's an encyclopedia that includes explanations on major and minor doctrinal topics, or in this case, um, or in the case of more widely held Christian beliefs, the church's official position. For example, sometimes McConkie would attempt to explain Roman Catholic or Protestant theology, and then he would position it within, or he'd disavow it as contrary to LDS theology. Right. This is one of those entries for sure. Um, Let's read it. There is an old and false sectarian tradition to the effect that all men, or if not that, at least the righteous, have guardian angels, heavenly beings of some sort who attend them and exercise some sort of preserving and guarding care. There are many specific instances in which angels, by special assignment, 
have performed particular works whereby faithful people have been guarded and preserved. The angel of the Lord's presence saved Israel. And an angel preserved Daniel when he was cast into the den of lions, for instance. But to suppose that either all men or all righteous men have heavenly beings acting as guardians for them runs counter to the basic revealed facts relative to how the Lord exercises his benevolent watchfulness over his mortal children. The fact that angels have intervened to preserve someone in a particular peril does not establish the fact that all people generally have guardian angels, any more than the fact that angels have ministered to select prophets would prove that angels have ministered to all men. Actually, the preserving care of the Lord is exercised through the light of Christ. Expressions of patriarchs or other relatives to guardian angels must be interpreted either as figurative statements or as utterances having reference to special instances of guardian care of a miraculous nature. Instances comparable to Daniel's experience in the lion's den. So Bruce R. McConkie is not the first to question the existence of guardian angels. Before McConkie, Apostle John Widso argues the Holy Ghost seemed to already serve the purpose of a guardian angel in regard to personal revelation and protection. This is all to say that the official church had been reluctant in offering a theological position on the matter. But the lay Latter-day Saint has long used the language of guardian angels. Many LDS, for example, have received patriarchal blessings that spoke of their guardian angels as conduits of revelation or protection in their daily lives. Initially, it wasn't very controversial for lay Latter-day Saints to believe in guardian angels. No, it wasn't. We have several stories to share today. We're going to start with a story shared over the pulpit at General Conference in October 1919. The future president of the church, David O. McKay, told about a powerful church meeting in which the presiding authority drew the attention of those present to the unseen angels in the room. In 1899, after I had been appointed president of the Scottish Conference, the spiritual manifestation for which I had prayed as a boy in my teens came as a natural sequence to the performance of duty. For as the Apostle John declared, If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. Following a series of meetings at the conference held in Glasgow, Scotland, was a most remarkable priesthood meeting. I remember, as if it were yesterday, the intensity of the inspiration of that occasion. Everybody felt the rich outpouring of the Spirit of the Lord. All present were truly of one heart and one mind. Never before had I experienced such an emotion. It was a manifestation for which, as a doubting youth, I had secretly prayed most earnestly on hillside and in meadow. It was an assurance to me that sincere prayer is answered sometime, somewhere. During the meeting, an elder on his own initiative arose and said, Brethren, there are angels in this room. Strange as it may seem, the announcement was not startling. Indeed, it seemed wholly proper. Though it had not occurred to me, there were divine beings present. I only knew that I was overflowing with gratitude for the presence of the Holy Spirit. I was profoundly impressed, however, when President James L. McMurrin, president of the European Mission, arose and confirmed that statement by pointing to one brother sitting just in front of me and saying, Yes, brethren, there are angels in this room, and one of them is the guardian angel of that young man sitting there and he designated one who afterward became a patriarch to the Woodruff stake of the church, John Young. Pointing to another elder, he said, and one is the guardian angel of that young man there, and he singled out one 
whom I had known from childhood, David Eccles. Tears were rolling down the cheeks of both of these missionaries, not in sorrow or grief, but as an expression of the overflowing spirit. Indeed, we were all weeping. 1919 is pretty late for an official reference to guardian angels, so this is definitely a neat source. There's not a lot of information about guardian angels here from David O. McKay. You notice all we learn is that two elders have guardian angels and that they are present in that meeting. That doesn't necessarily suggest that everyone has a guardian angel, and it doesn't suggest that guardian angels are always nearby, especially if only two were present at this meeting full of missionaries. In the 19th century, individual general authorities had different views on the topic and were definitely willing to speculate more than their 20th century counterparts. My favorite is probably John Taylor's Origin, Object, and Destiny of Women, published in 1857. And we shared some of this document in episode four on spirit children. But in short, Taylor says that in the preexistence, we all covenanted with another spirit to serve as our guardian angel. So it becomes this premortal pact between individuals, which I think is fascinating. Today, I want to look at a different text. This is from Parley P. Pratt's Key to the Science of Theology, and this comes from his chapter on dreams. He offers a really beautiful idea. He writes that within dreams, quote, their kindred spirits, their guardian angels, then hover about them with the fondest affection. In this situation, we frequently hold communication with our departed father, mother, brother, sister, son, or daughter, or with the former husband or wife of our bosom, whose affection for us being rooted and grounded in the eternal elements— or issuing from under the sanctuary of love's eternal fountain, can never be lessened or diminished by death, distance, space, or length of years. We may perhaps have had a friend of the other sex, whose pulse beat in unison with our own, whose every thought was big with aspiration, the hopes of a bright future in union with our own, whose happiness in time or eternity would never be fully consummated without that union. Such a one snatched from time in that very bosom of youth lives in the other sphere, with the same bright hope, watching our every step and our meandering through the rugged path of life with longing desire for our eternal happiness and eager for a safe arrival in that same sphere. With what tenderness of love, with solicitude of affection, will they watch over our slumbers, hang about our pillow and seek to communicate with our spirit, to warn us of dangers or temptations, to comfort and soothe our sorrow, to ward off the ills which might befall us, or perchance, to give us some kind token of remembrance or undying love. This is one of the most powerful passages from Key to the Science of Theology. Where do you get this idea that a deceased spouse might play the role of his guardian angel? Well, Pratt lost his wife in 1837, and the following year he was arrested and put in the Richmond, Missouri jail alongside Joseph Smith. Joseph would soon end up in Liberty Jail, but Pratt remained there in Richmond. And this is his story of seeing his guardian angel, his wife, in that jail cell. After some days of prayer and fasting, and seeking the Lord on the subject, I retired to my bed in my lonely chamber at an early hour, and while the other prisoners and the guard were chatting and beguiling the lonesome hours in the upper apartment of the prison, I lay in silence, seeking and expecting an answer to my prayer, when suddenly I seemed carried away in the spirit, and no longer sensible to outward objects with which I was surrounded. A heaven of peace and calmness pervaded my bosom. A personage from the world of spirits stood right before me with a smile of compassion in every look, and pity mingled with the tender love and sympathy in every expression of the countenance. A soft hand seemed placed within my own, 
and a glowing cheek was laid in tenderness and warmth upon mine. A well-known voice saluted me, which I readily recognized as that of the wife of my youth, who had for near two years been sweetly sleeping where the wicked cease from troubling and the weary are at rest. I was made to realize that she was sent to commune with me and answer my question. Knowing this, I said to her in a most earnest and inquiring tone, Shall I ever be at liberty again in this life and enjoy the society of my family and the saints and preach the gospel as I have done? She answered definitely and unhesitantly, Yes! I then recollected that I had agreed to be satisfied with the knowledge of that one fact, but now I wanted more. Said I, Can you tell me how or by what means or when I shall escape? And she replied, That thing is not made known to me yet. I instantly felt that I had gone beyond my agreement and my faith in asking this last question, and that I must be contented at present with the answer to the first. Her gentle spirit then saluted me and withdrew. I came to myself. The doleful noise of the guards and the wrangling and, and angry words of the old apostate again grated on my ears, but heaven and hope were in my soul. Next morning I related the whole circumstance of my vision to my two fellow prisoners, who rejoiced exceedingly. This may seem to some like an idle dream or a romance of the imagination, but to me it was and always will be a reality, both as it regards to what I then experienced and the fulfillment afterwards. I love that. Would you come visit me, Chris? You know I would. Yeah, you better. <laughs> and you know, the most common angel stories among Latter-day Saints are the appearances of departed loved ones. And after Brigham Young saw Parley's key to the science of theology, he preaches a sermon in which he says, quote, all people have their guardian angels. Whether our departed dead guard us is not for me to say. I can say we have our guardian angels. The idea of apparitions of loved ones are popular throughout the world. If you're interested in these wider stories, you should check out Jillian Bennett's wonderful study of British widows seeing the apparitions of their husbands. It's called Alas, Poor Ghost. Friends, get this book. I know this isn't the first time we've mentioned it. What folklorist Jillian Bennett does is to show how these beliefs are not antiquated, but deeply entangled in death culture among Christians. And of Latter-day Saints, we too could share any number of stories about the apparitions of deceased loved ones visiting the living. They're everywhere. But I've rarely heard a Latter-day Saint refer to those visitors as angels, let alone guardian angels. There are cases where they do. Sure. And theologically, it can go unsaid, right? But you found a pretty interesting story that I think uh, refers to guardian angels directly. So let's, let's hear that. That's right. Yeah, this is a story shared by the mother of one of my students who's now an intern at the Church History Library. Her name is Grace Hyatt, and in this recording, she is reading her mother Sarah's account of her own personal guardian angel. On June 25th, 1982, my younger brother David, your uncle, was born at LDS Hospital in Salt Lake City. It was a really hard birth that ended in an emergency C-section to save the baby's life. But the doctor had been too late and David Edward Hunter passed away quietly in his mother's arms only 24 hours after he was born. Although I was only four years old when he passed, I remember the hospital and the funeral clearly. All of us count David in our big family. When I'm asked about my siblings, I always include him. Uncle David died about 40 years ago, but we all think about him. 
I think about him often, and I've had several experiences where I've felt his presence. In 2018, I was attending the Seattle Temple with Dad, my husband Wade, and we were sitting quietly in the celestial room praying and pondering. Dad leaned over to me and asked if I was ready to go. I told him, I just need to see if David is here. I closed my eyes to pray more, and I felt David's voice, and warmth just surrounded my whole body. I heard the words, you never have to ask. My little brother is my guardian angel. Going to the temple has been really important for me because I know that my brother will always be waiting for me. That's a really touching story. Thanks, Grace and Sarah, for sharing with us. You know, and and it looks like Parley and Sarah, neither of them seem to claim that a person has a single guardian angel who journeys with the living relative from birth to death. It seems to be more about relationships and enduring family commitments that make an individual a guardian. That's right. But sometimes guardian angels appear in Latter-day Saint sources in their classic sense as a specific being that's assigned to you from birth to death. One of the first LDS apostles, Orson Hyde, introduced a whole series of ideas about guardian angels. Orson Hyde was a character. He was probably as innovative or should we say speculative as any other early church leader. The best example of this is that Hyde taught his own theory of reincarnation that Brigham Young termed the, quote, baby resurrection. Few Latter-day Saints subscribed to this notion and Brigham preached against it publicly on multiple occasions. That's an important point. When we study the early restoration, there's a lot of public speculation, which of course, if you're Christine and me, you think it's pretty awesome. Certainly. <laughs> Wilford Woodruff recorded notes from a sermon given by Orson Hyde from May 1846. Every saint has a guardian angel with him, so death cannot kill him. The angels accompanied the ancients, so they do us. When the guardian angel is called away, we are left to grapple with death. So with Jesus, he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? In three days, the angel returned, rolled back the stone, and raised the Lord. The angels will not stay away forever, but will all come with Jesus Christ to raise all the bodies, every man in his own order. So this is a very old idea that guardian angels are there to prevent our deaths. He also introduces the idea that guardian angels will return to resurrect us. This is a very different theory of resurrection than the one held by Brigham Young, which we discussed in our last episode. Brigham thought a resurrected saint most likely one's father or husband would resurrect them. So in these stories and quotes, we've come upon three propositions about guardian angels that show up in the 19th century. First, everyone has a guardian angel from the time of their birth. Second, guardian angels are deceased family members. And third, we all entered into an agreement with another spirit to be our guardian angels during mortality. These ideas don't all work together. It would be impossible for your spouse to become your guardian angel and for them to have been your guardian angel throughout your life. But of course, what's interesting about these stories is that it shows how Latter-day Saints were wrestling with these ideas. They knew there was a connection between spirits and mortals. So does the church have an official stance on guardian angels today? In 2012, the Liahona ran an article answering the question, are there guardian angels? Do I have one assigned to me? The article noted that one, we have a constant companion, the Holy Ghost. Two, we definitely have angels protecting us at times. And three, and I'll read this part, quote, The Lord has not revealed whether one specific angel is assigned to watch over each person, but you can be assured that divine protection and comfort are available. If you exercise faith, you will have God's help, including angels sent to strengthen and comfort you and give you courage to do what is right. 
That's probably a good place to end this episode. So while we see debates about what constitutes a guardian angel, there's no debate that angels exist, that our deceased loved ones continue to be a part of our lives. That's right. And in Latter-day Saints story, the key here is that we do have a relationship with beings who sit on the other side of the veil, family members who have passed on, family members yet to be born, and maybe even people, angels, who we'll never meet in this life. Join us later this week for the final episode of the season, when which we'll talk about fun Christmas traditions in Latter-day Saint culture. We'll see you soon. See you soon. Angels and Seerstones is a proud member of the Dialogue Podcast Network. You can support this podcast and others in our network by subscribing at dialoguejournal.com.